0: Welcome to Network, the show where we teach pastors how to cast the net of the gospel more effectively. I'm Scott Smith, consultant of Evangelism Ministries of the Georgia Baptist Convention, and welcome back to the show. Uh, This show is going to be a little bit different. We're actually going to um, play for you one of our most uh, highly rated sessions from our strategy conference from 2014. It was brought by a gentleman named Tom Clegg, who really wowed the audience with his... Topic, optimizing the Sunday morning experience. Now, I, I don't recall that he actually called it that, but wow, he just really brought to light a lot of things. One of the reasons I'm, I'm going to share this with you in this episode is he really walked through the psychology of what a visitor is thinking, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling, and how it's shifted in the culture even from days gone by in terms of what people expect when they come to church, what their experiences have been, He just really did a great job breaking that down. And then, of course, he went into some of these tips and strategies for making your Sunday morning uh, experience more guest-friendly. And actually, he wrote a book on the subject. Let me introduce to you Tom Clegg. Tom is the president and founder of the Clegg Consulting Group, an innovative coaching and consulting firm dedicated to empowering marketplace and ministry leaders to be more fruitful in their respective contexts. Described by others as a missional breakthrough leader, Thomas is highly gifted in a, as a sought-after coach, consultant, conference speaker, and internationally recognized authority in the fields of evangelism, church planning, leadership development, and missions. He's author of *Missing in America*, *Lost in America*, *Releasing Your Church's Potential*, *Mission America*, and *The Seven Habits of a Visitor-Friendly Church*. Which is the book that caught our attention, and we had an invitation sent out to him to come, and he did, and he just really really wild us with what he had to, to bring. As a matter of fact, we're getting him back this year for the next conference, the next strategy conference, which is September 28th and 29th in McDonough, Georgia, REACH 2015's strategy conference. You can find out more about that at gbcevangelismconferences.com. Let's go to the recording of Tom Clegg's session on creating a guest-friendly Sunday morning experience. Hi, I'm Tom,
1: and I live in Des Moines, Iowa, center of the known universe. It's great to finally be back down here in Atlanta. My uh, brother lives just about 20 miles away, so I get to spend the night with him. Well, most of the morning with him, uh, Delta Airlines saw fit to. I left, I left home in a howling snowstorm, and it was, they, they delayed the flight, delayed the flight, delayed the flight, delayed the flight, and I, I, four and a half million miles over 25 years, finally, something never happened, they canceled the flight, I got the notice the flight was canceled, and then I got a notice the flight is not, it's uncancelled. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, so like, yeah, so lucky, able to, so got here at, well, hi, hey. it's good to be here. Man, and I also know what you're, you're thinking, you're thinking it's the afternoon, it's the last session, it's after lunch, it's the food coma, it's, and it's one of the toughest crowds that a speaker can ever have to speak to, and that is to speakers. Uh, to preach to, which is preachers. Uh, those of you who lay down your lives uh, for the sake of others and, and serve congregations and reach communities and, and, and put it on the line and pay out dearly, uh, emotionally and physically and, and spiritually. And all you want is to see people come to Christ and yet all of the competing agendas and narratives in a church that compete for your time and your agenda, your, your your energy. And the overall mission of the church oftentimes is downgraded into something of just maybe having services every Sunday. And, and then uh, for so many it's just hanging on and survival is like the biggest miracle you could ever possibly imagine. And I know some of you, you actually live from event to event like this, feeling between events like you're swimming underwater the entire time. But when you can gather together then with your brothers and sisters and people who get you, who don't, you don't have to explain yourself to. And maybe you can, you can lower the shield just a little bit, all the while hoping maybe, just maybe, just maybe, there's a silver bullet I could find out at one of these things that would solve it all. Well, I hate to disappoint you, But uh, there is no such thing as a silver bullet. Just the faithful, faithful lifting up of the grace of God each and every Sunday through his redemptive agent, the church. And I'm firmly convinced that God is not done with the church. And that you represent the only hope, people sitting 20 minutes in every direction from wherever you serve have. Not just the sole expression of your congregation, but we have that which can transform lives and change history and turn nations that are cascading down an abyss like ours are around. So I salute you. I love you. I admire you. You're why I get out of bed in the morning. I serve a congregation as well. But pastors are my parish. And God has been so good the last 25 years, been able to do this and serve churches of all kinds and all stripes all over the world and it's kind of busy conference season right now. Last week was Methodist in another part of the country. If this is Tuesday, you must be Baptist. Tomorrow is InterVarsity. Monday, Tuesday next is uh, uh, Evangelical Free Church and Friday after that, it's somebody. Assemblies of something, but you, you know it's, uh, and, and when, you, when you have the opportunity to, to serve across various distinctives, you, you, you learn to appreciate what your tradition brings to the communities, and communities need Bible-believing Baptist churches. They desperately need that faithful adherence to God's word, desperately need it. So all the other churches in your community also need your presence. Uh, recently at a large uh, multi-church, multi-tradition kind of ecumenical sort of gathering uh, somebody ran into the room and shouted out the building is on fire! So the Methodists gathered in a corner classroom and prayed about the fire. There were some of those kind of Baptists there who said where's the water? Well the dispensationalists claimed it was the long, wrong church age in which you could have. A fire. There were seminarians there arguing about the original Greek meanings of the words fire and water, while the Congregationalists shouted out every person for themselves. The Reformed church people there made a covenant saying God is good and the fire is bad and that only the elect will be shown the exits. <laughs> the Lutherans posted a notice on the door declaring 95 reasons why the fire was evil and instructions to bring a covered dish next week. The Roman Catholics passed a collection plate just hoping to cover the damages, while the Jews posted symbols on the door hoping the fire would just pass by. There were Pentecostals there saying something about tongues of fire and charismatics trying to bind the spirit of fire, while the Seventh-day Adventists were all saying it was the wrong day in which you could have a fire. There were Youth for Christ staff there singing and ha- holding hands in a circle around the fire, singing Kumbaya. The Orthodox people uh, brought out candles and incense showing that fire was certainly no big deal. The Salvation Army passed out coffee and donuts, hoping the whole person was well cared for at the fire. The Christian scientists agreed amongst themselves there never was a fire in the first place. The Presbyterians appointed a chairperson who was to form a committee and power task force, conduct a thorough study, make a written report, turn into the session for further Review the Vineyard Church sang songs about lighting the fire again. The Christian Missionary Alliance said the church burn, the fire burns only overseas. There were new apostolic leaders there saying their fire was hotter and brighter than anyone else's fire. Some people t- for Toronto sort of laughing about the fire. The Church of Christ people who were certain the, f- the Church of Christ were absolutely certain the fire started amongst the musical instruments. The Episcopalians formed a procession <laughs> and marched out while it was the Georgia Baptist Convention who claimed to have started. <laughs> The fire. There we go. Just offend everybody equally and then bring it home at the end. You know, folks like uh, uh, Melanie and myself, who's uh, tasked today to bring about and, and to talk about that aspect of the evangelism process that is singularly the most impactful on persons' journeys. We know this from interviewing face to face interviews with 1,170 adult converts. Nine states over two years. The study revealed that in their journey from wherever they were to being alive in Christ, what was most influential? And of the spiritual gifts, depending on how you like to look at those in the Pauline lists or the various things, the spiritual gift that was most influential on their journey from where they were to alive in Christ was hospitality. Single most influential. And I've been trying really hard. How can I get this across to audiences? How can I help this with the churches that we work with all over the country? And I was up in the, the eastern part of the nation. I was working with this the this, uh, this staff, trying to get the whole idea across to them of what is it to experience uh, church service for the very first time? Because that's really hard for us to do because we've been culturally corrupted. We know all the inside stuff. We know the tribal language. We know what all the rituals and symbols mean. And we put up with a lot of it. You know, we know what, you know, intercession and redemption and, you know, code words and buzzwords and intinction, we know what those those words mean, and other people don't know what, the, I've tried to pretend, I've tried to tell myself, i tried to be the guest chopper, but I know all this stuff, and I had friends come and visit me, and even pre-Christian friends, but oftentimes, they're, what they would tell me and their feedback was kind of colluded by uh, uh, our friendship that we had, so I wanted to, what could we do when we didn't, and I was working with this church, and we were getting very, very frustrated as the consultation went by, and on and on and on, and it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, sitting in this boardroom, and I said, all right, that's it. Forget it. We're done. Take the rest of the afternoon off. Now, I want you to come back at 5.30 tonight, and I've done my homework. I want you to bring your spouse and come dressed for church, whatever that means for you. And then we're going to go off and we're going to conduct a church Visiting experiment together and then we'll go to a restaurant afterwards and talk about see what maybe we'd learn in this whole thing and I didn't tell him what we were gonna do. I secured the church van and got one of them to agree to drive the van, and there were seven on the staff, and so they all showed up at 5.30, and they were all dressed in varying degrees of, well, they were dressed, and uh, with their spouses, and we all piled in the van, and the guy drove it, and I got in the front seat, crammed in this passenger van, and we took off down the road. Now, my calculations taught me that we were 15 minutes away uh, in a drive, so we'd arrive at 15 till. And so, at about 13 minutes in, or two minutes to arrival, I turned around from the front seat and I announced to my guys what we were going to do tonight. Tonight, friends, we're going to synagogue to experience a worship service for the first time with little or no prior cultural orientation. And immediately, it was a love hate relationship. They hated me, and I loved it. Well, <clears throat> We're driving, and now approaching on the right is a divided boulevard, approaching on the right is the church, and no, it's 15 minutes till because it would start at 6 o'clock. Instead of pulling into the driveway, the driver of the van yelled over his shoulder, hey, you know, Bob and Luann build a new house down here on the point. Anyone want to go look at it? Yes! And so we, instead of pulling in, we took off and looked around, finally found a house that, there it is, oh, ostentatious, don't you think? Yes, a bit flashy. I'm not sure. Anyway, so we drove back to the church. Now, all these many minutes, and we can't turn left, divided boulevard. so now we've got to go turn, get all around, finally pull into the parking lot just as the sweep secondhand on my watch passed six o'clock. When do guests typically arrive at your church? Hmm? Late, just as or just after it started. Why is that? What's that? They don't, have to deal with it. Slip in they don't want to deal with it, deal with it slip in un- unseen, don't want to meet people. Do you think really people go to church not wanting to meet a person? But yeah, they. how, do, how does it feel knowing right now that every person in this room is looking at the back of your head? You're good with it, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm a youth minister, so I really didn't A youth pastor, yeah. you have no shame. Exactly. It's yeah. all gone, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what they don't want is they don't want to feel awkward, exactly. Well, so we were demonstrating that, a, that natural behavior, not wanting to arrive with 15 minutes of sitting around feeling awkward. Instead, we fooled around, looked at the house, came in, pulled it. Now, we, when, whenever you go someplace, you know, where do you want to park? as close to the door as you can, right? But when we pulled in this parking lot, all them parking spaces was taken, right? Who was parked there? The saints, yeah, the saints were all parked there. So we can't, and now it has begun to rain. So we, just, we dump all of everybody off under the little overhang thing by the door and run off and park in the Timbuktu clear in the back and run through the rain, me and the driver back. And we're standing there dripping wet outside this place. Now it's a fall evening and it's dark and it's damp and fallen leaves are clinging now to the slick rain surfaces everywhere. And it's a huge ornate cut wood door and the little light bulb above is just sort of sputtering. And it all has sort of this eerie sort of feel to the place. Huge, door handles, and grabbed it, and when we pulled. it made the exact perfect on-cue sound effect, which was. You're good, yeah. And so we went into the in from the out. whatever you call the in from the out at your joint. you know, it's the Patico foyer, narthex, lobby, worship, fellowship., you know, appendix, whatever. Whatever you call the in from the out. We went in from the in from the out. And the in from the out is populated with coat racks and sort of stuff and boxes and things. And there's the doors that go to another part of the building and a hallway to another part of the building. One side is lit. This side is dark and mysterious. We don't know. And there's nobody in there. But we can tell there's a commotion going on on the other side of the doors. Something is happening in there, and it sounds kind of musical, a bit foreign, but there's noise, and, and we're standing there wondering what to do when right around the corner comes somebody evidently who is the greeter that evening, and he looked like this. <laughs> and he said, so, how are you? Honest, and and he, he sort of had to, look to us. Now there was a thing that you had to, in order to be in on their thing, you had to you had to you had you had to have a hat, right? Now if you're already part of the thing, you've got your own hat, right? You've got your own yarmulke, and it's, it probably has your name in Hebrew and a blessing and a little gold filigree, and it's slipped onto your hair with a bobby pin. You can't even tell when you're looking if you're wearing it or not, but when you look down, well, if you're a guest, you don't get that. You get they have invested untold resources in developing this cardboard device that looks roughly like a horseshoe crab without the tail little tiny, and they're, they're odd, maybe European kind of cool staples and creased, and it's designed in such a way that if you look left or right or up or down or remain completely motionless it will fall off. <laughs> I wanted one with a little string, you know, but they they didn't have that. So we all got our hats, and then they handed us the, the thing. You, know, you won't know the players' names and numbers without a bulletin, they give us this thing, and we go in now to the main event. This is where the religious ceremony, the worship service is happening, that we're now first-time visitors, and there are 15 of us. Now, and Melody pointed out, when you, when you go to uh, any public event, where do you usually like to sit? In the back. That's exactly right. If you missed this conference, it was the biggest mistake of your life. <laughs> All right. Yeah, if, if, if you, well, you, you want to sit in the back, right? Well, who's sitting in the back? The saints, right? Now, when we came in the big swinging, sorry, cameraman, we came in the big <laughs> swinging doors, we came in the swinging doors, the back rows were packed, and they were standing, and they were singing, a song in like a language I'd never heard. And, uh, you know, there are some churches where that's regular, but, you know, anyway, they, they and, 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 and so we wanted to sit in the back, but instead we had to go 11 rows up, which was only two rows from the back. And there's 15 of us, right? And in the commotion to get in, I have gotten between the senior pastor and his wife. And we're all, sc- excuse me, sir. And we're, we're all getting in. And, and, and it was like, and, and just, you know, at just about the time that we get settled in, on cue, they quit singing and sat down. So then we sat down. And then somebody said something. And they stood up. So we stood up. And then they sat down without a cue. And we sat down and said, I'm not moving. Now, all the while, and sweat is running down your back because of the whole awkward, you know, Situated. All the while, the, the, the minister, in this case, the rabbi, he was sitting up front, him and the little junior varsity rabbi guy that were up there. And, and, and he's looking at this parade of newbies because we got the newbie hat, right? You know the newbies. And, and we, we sit down, and, he come at, and then they had the time of greet your neighbor, Right, and we talked about, it. you have that in your services, probably, some of you, greet your neighbor, right? Turn and greet your neighbor. Well, in, 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 in this context, they have special code words that they say to each other. Yeah, it's not hi or how are you. it's good Shabbat or Shabbat shalom, yeah. And then there's one more thing that they do. There's kissing. Now, don't sweat it. <laughs> In my culture, if there will be kissing, this kissing will be cross gender lines. Not in that context, this was same sex kissing. And you talk about something that makes you feel just a little bit awkward. Well, and he comes and, he, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, he would kiss the men and then he'd kiss the lady or he wouldn't kiss the ladies he'd kiss the men and say Shabbat Shabbat, and then to the ladies how do you do and he's greeting them all and he's coming down the road, and he kisses me and then he comes to the senior pastor who between his wife I'm now and this big bear of a man this rabbi and this, this ordained spirit filled sanctified set apart, man of God. Their eyes met in a magical moment. And he said, we'd be so honored if you would read from the Torah for us tonight. And the man of God looked at this shepherd of the lost sheep of Israel, still seeking the Messiah. He looked at him and he lied to him. He said, I've got a really bad sore throat. But I'm sure my friend would be happy to. He looked at me and said, yeah, okay, whatever. And the junior varsity rabbi guy comes and he gets me by the elbow and he takes me up to the front of the thing behind and sweat is pouring and I'm thinking, hoy, I'm going. What do I, do I fess up? What do I tell him? You know, in one semester of, of, you know, seminary Hebrew, there's nothing more entertaining than listening to Gentiles spit. Right? <laughs> and I'm saying, man, my, my Hebrew's terrible. He said, don't worry, it's translated. It's right, right underneath it. Don't worry about it. I, I shouldn't be here. Don't worry about it. It's okay. <sighs> I really don't belong here. You're stuck. <laughs> and he puts this thing on me. And he says, now just point at it, don't touch it. Okay. But before you do, kiss the rabbi. So I kissed the rabbi. Kiss the Torah. No, kiss it, kiss the thing and kiss it. And he's all whispering in my ear. So and and it was somewhere in Hosea. And I not, I, God have mercy. I shouldn't have been there. And butchered the text. And I, I looked up and my friends are beaming. <laughs> And I got done, he said, kiss the Torah, kiss, kiss the rabbi, kiss the rabbi, kiss me, kiss me, get lost, okay. <laughs> I come back. You, you ever been in church on Sunday He said, do we have any visitors with us today? Anyone, anyone new? Oh sir, you look, please stand up. Yeah. You ever asked somebody, tell us your name, all the while thinking you're being, what? Friendly, yeah. Number one most feared thing to do in our culture is, what I'm doing right now, yep, public speaking, number one, dying, number two. So just remember, next time you eulogize at a funeral, you're worse off than the guy in the box, right? <laughs> well, you know, and, and now, and the, the whole thing is, is just a swirl in my head, and the, the, the rabbi has his sermon thing, and, and we're all just dying, except they keep looking at me sideways and snickering, and. Then it, it seemed like the end. It only seemed like the end. It, 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 for it felt like it was endish. It was ending-ish and the guy who had driven the band stood up on the end of our road, buttoned his coat and headed for the door. We all got out of there. When do guests typically leave? Just as or just before it's over, why? They don't want to feel awkward. As well as, if I could give you more time or more money, which would you take? Yeah. Churches can be some of the most time-abusive agents in the world. I thought it was interesting, the, the landmark, it was, you know, years ago, but the Bill Gates Newsweek art, uh, article after you become a new dad, why his family doesn't attend church. He says it's time ineffective. Okay, I'm not gonna look to him for my theological, but that's, a, that's an acute, Observation. We say it's an hour long, it better be an hour long. You know, big business, big deals are never more than a 20 minute presentation. That's a long one, right? But just as or just after, boom, out the door. So, what do we learn from that experience? (laughs) Don't arrive late. There you go. (laughs) Get your own yarmulke. Sometimes an illustration just misses, right? Yeah. (laughs) That it's terrifying to go to church for the first time. There's one main reason new people show up at your church. What is it? They were invited by a friend. Yeah. Why do uninvited guests show up at your church? Curious? Tragic? Crisis. Pain. Disaster. The wheels have come off their life. And now even in the buckle of the Bible belt, increasingly is emerging a generation who've never been exposed to church at all, never raised going to church. But there's enough by their parents, or parents, right? Right? But there's enough of an echo in their soul from their grandparents Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham enough of an echo there that they know intuitively and instinctively that the church is a place of hope. You remember where you were for uh, September 11th, 2001? Every one of us know. Every one of us know. East 21st in Lexington in midtown Manhattan. That's where I was. None of us will forget it. You remember the Sunday after? What happened to your churches? Packed to the walls. We've interviewed people about that Sunday in their lives. What were they looking for on that Sunday after September 11th? Louder? Answers, hope. Comfort. Secured. Actually what they were looking for was community. They were not wanting to be alone. That's what they were looking for. They didn't want to be in the dark alone. It's estimated only .76 percent, that's less than 1 percent of all the churches in America that grew as a result of 9-11 maintained that growth. And our research The only ones that we found that grew as a result are churches that were planted, and their very first Sunday was the first Sunday after 9-11, yeah. There'd been a gathering strategy, and when they congregationalized, it stayed together. That's what people were looking for. So, you know, uninvited people show up at your church because of the pain and crisis that they're in, or they're angry Christians coming from another church to bring that stuff to your church, That's why at our church, we, we usually find people like that and say, oh, you know what, we found out Christians really don't fit in around here, so we're gonna help you. It's also why you need to, know, you need to be on a first-name basis with every pastor in your town that you could possibly know. And When they show up at your door, well, we weren't being fed over there. Well, unless it was a non-Trinitarian kind of cult or something, it's time to be, say, hold on, what are you doing? I'm calling your pastor. Hey, yeah, hey, uh... Yeah, Dick and Darlene are here. Yep, yeah, that describes him. Uh, he wants to talk to you. You are the chief lifeguard of the gene pool in your church. Because uh, last I heard, angels do not rejoice when Christians go from one church to another. No matter how pure the gospel is that you preach you're all All right. What... Well, The very least that we've learned is that first impressions are lasting impressions. Of all the impressions they're going to get when they come on your campus, whether it's one that you own or one you're borrowing, when they come into your environment, far more impermeable, determining impressions before, pastor, you ever get up to speak And the more that we can go the extra mile in being hospitable, that the only obstacle that they encounter, the only stumbling block that they encounter to new life in Jesus Christ is the cross and the 100% commitment it demands. Nothing else. The best we can do is set the environment. But if we truly believe the gospel of grace is the only salvation for humankind, then we will do everything that we possibly can to make sure people have an undistracted opportunity to hear it. And look, the clock is running. You know, our research indicates that in the first 90 seconds that they're on your property, they're determining whether or not they're gonna be able to take you seriously I mean and where does this come from you know instantly when you visit somebody's home whether or not this is a home that's ready for company or whether it's a home where only a family reunion takes place you know if it's company if you say Tom bring the wife and kids and come to the house for the weekend I'm headed to your house what's happening in your house starting like Wednesday cleaning or as my wife says deep cleaning nobody looks behind the stove honey shut up and clean yes ma'am <laughs> you know you 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 turn the spare room into the guest room you move the clothes rack i mean the you know exercise machine i could even t- treadmill out of there or exercise cycle you know you clear out some drawers you make some room in the closet you put out those soaps and those towels you make that casserole never make that for me shut up their company You know instantly whether it's a house that's ready for company or it's a house for family reunion. If there's weeds in the driveway, if there's garbage around the door, if it smells like a... I mean, you know instantaneously whether or not your presence is welcome there. But at a family reunion, you don't bother fixing that stuff. You hope the people, in fact, this part of the family reunion is fixing up the house projects and stuff. And you know, never step on the second step at grandma's house. Darlene brought her fiancé from New York City. He stepped on it. He's still a cripple. You know, family know to step over that thing when common sense says, fix the dumb step. First 90 seconds, whether or not they're going to be able to take you seriously. In the first four minutes, they've determined whether or not you believe what you're saying. And in the first 10 minutes, they've already decided whether or not they are coming back, yeah. You know, if you would work half as hard on clearing the path of this process as you do preparing your sermons, I think you'd see some good results. I'm not telling you to ditch sermon preparation, but by the way, most of your sermons are radic- grossly overprepared and deliver far too much than a person can absorb. In fact, most sermons, <laughs> typically, most sermons would make a nice series if broken down a little bit more uh, digestible format. All right, let's let's unpack some of this uh, initial moments in our service, because we're all there, and kind of augment and underline and underscore some of the fabulous stuff that Melanie uh, shared with us. You know, 10 moments of truth, driving on the, up to the campus, curb appeal, you know, street to seat. I'm going to steal that line. Hope you don't mind. Uh, but that is so important, the curb appeal, that you just know instantly whether or not you're serious about this. And it also betrays what business you're in. Some of you think are, are, some churches, you know, are just merchants of religious goods and services. Some are dispensers or de- the depository of truth, you know, like a fortress, a bank. Some study the gospel; they look like a university, you know. And I don't—I'm not talking about being palatial or, or anything about architecture, though that belies a great deal about hospitality. But the curb appeal says you're, whether or not you're serious about being a gift to your community that what you, what you have to offer is something that needs serious consideration. And enough serious consideration, yes, you'd even trip the lawn. Have helpful uh, direction in the parking lot. I can't agree more. Uh, parking lot attendants, a manned live persons in the parking lot with the red you know, stick or flashlight and umbrellas and little vests and ID uh, lanyards, it just sets a professional hospitable event kind of tone and also your insurance man is grateful. Now you get ice down here, we get loads of snow up there, but in the howling terrible wind, if you meet somebody at the car with an umbrella, like Melanie said, the overwhelming message you're sending is, we care. We care about you, we care about this experience. We care about what you might encounter in the fleeting coming moments. Your insurance man's really happy if you've got people out in the parking lot, and, I don't know about you, but in our city, we've had a rash of crime of very intelligent uh, thieves breaking into cars, getting the title and the garage door opener. Why? They've got your address and they know you're not there. It's just wise to have eyes in the parking lot when everybody's attention's inside. Uh, the di- from the car to the door, that distance. Now, I want to pick on the church. You were really kind to him about the pulling in, but I pulled in. See, I got here late, and y'all were in here, and I pulled up, and when I pulled up to the Y, I looked to my right where all the cars were parked, and there's a sign tilted this way, do not enter. So without even thinking, I whoop, I went the loop around the front door. And then I thought, this can't be right. And finally, found it. somebody needs to fix that, fix that sign so you don't send that message. But from the parking lot to the door, from easy parking, by the way, I'm very much against labeling anything visitor parking. If you, have, if you have attendants out there, and if most of your churches are the size, that attendants working in the parking lot, successive Sundays are gonna learn what cars people drive. And if they don't recognize the car or the driver, simply give them the best parking spaces. So yeah, you buy a new car, you get a break, and a premier parking for a week, so what? But what's, what's this say? By giving the best parking place to new people, what's it say? We care. Also, it's, it's safe. You don't have the crossing traffic. You're getting uh, to the doors that are well marked and well lit. If it's nighttime from the outside, you've got external uh, signage that's clear. Um, entering the front door. and the, In my opinion, the most important thing when you come up to the door, first of all, that's clean. When you open it, the very most important thing when you go inside is how the place smells. That's why we have all over our facility Uh, And it changes week in, week out. Uh, We'll either have coffee makers going in the lobbies uh, or a bread-making machine going in the lobby, right? Or we'll even have, uh, we've even experimented with with cookie dough that you can make in a bread-making machine just because it smells like what? And when you were a kid, what was the happiest place on planet Earth? Grandma's house, exactly. That they have that same experience that when you come in, and what, that it's, and if, if, it's the kind of people that the, the number one reason there is there's pain in their life. Just a little bit of pain seems like a lot of pain. And just subtly reinforcing the message that this is a safe place that cares about you. You say, Tom, this is just cheap human psychology. No, it's being hospitable. Because it sure beats one that smells like a nursing home or a state institution. And you've been there, right? Um, finding the way around, another moment of truth. This is your interior signage. Yes, to the restrooms, the kiddo area, and the information desk, that they're... I do not say any more about that. And then people that you encounter. And it is an instinctive behavior to only talk to the people you know. It is learned behavior to talk to the people you don't recognize and you don't know. And look, we get to spend forever together in heaven. Forever. What we won't get to do there is invite anyone there. So get over yourself and your need to just have your needs met and just your your good old boy's friends thing. You'll have time for that. Love. Be hospitable, kind. What does that mean? That means saying hello, that means shaking hands, It means exchanging names. In the day-long training event that I do, the seven habits of a visitor friendly church that this is just a little teeny tiny part of, uh, we, we break down all, the, the, the exact right way to greet people and a lot of wrong ways to do and how you can retain uh, uh, visitor information more effectively and all that kind of stuff and we'd love to come back and, and do that with you or your church or whatever, but people are pastor watchers. If you wade into people, they'll wade into people. If you jet, they'll jet. You set the tone, the fish rots from the head. You're either leading by example or you're not leading at all. Experiencing the overall vibe, the atmosphere of the church, is it it well thought through, Are are the transitions Uh, thought through? Is is the whole thing seemingly thought through and thoughtful? Do you use uh, symbols without explaining them? Do you use language without explaining it? That's very inhospitable. Do you do the rudest thing you could ever do to people is make them sing something from memory? We know the school song and you don't. No, always provide the lyrics. Provide information. Entering the sanctuary, what the worship space is like and what's the tone. Is it casual and we want to be casual? Is it very reverential? Whatever, it's thought through that the, the atmosphere is seen as every bit as important as any other at, uh, aspect of the gathering. Experiencing uh, the worship service, this has more to do with being guided along. I love what you worship assistant or whatever you said in your talk, I love that idea of somebody who's there just to help, help folks and to not make it uh, In other words, and whoever you target in your target audience, in our case, we found uh, research in our community, which is pretty much solid nationwide, that do you know how they predict prison population? They predict prison population based solely on reading comprehension of nine-year-old boys. If they determine he cannot read with comprehension, they will say, this is a state study, it's because he lacks stable male leadership in his life. That's why, but here's the bad news. If he can't read with comprehension in ninth grade, he will spend a portion of his adult life a guest of the Department of Corrections. Now, a follow-up study is also showing the only way we will ever make a dent on human trafficking, sex trade, and pornography is by discipling nine-year-old boys. So who does our, our target audience, when we gather and strategize and plan services, is the parents of, of seven, eight, and nine-year-old kids. That's who. So, most of them, late 20s, early 30s, that's who we target, that's who we go after. You, you know. And in terms of going after, by the way, What's the point of the gathering of the worship service? Is it for those who are there or those who aren't there yet? Is it for the found or the lost? It's for the lost because, friends, if you pick both, guess which one always wins? The found. Anyway, uh, we just make it then idiot-proof in what we do and explain everything. And we either do it verbally, on the screen, or in whatever we put in people's hands. And we're putting less and less things in people's hands, by the way, uh, experiencing the worship service, and then, yes, exiting the worship service. It's not over when it's over. It's just begun when it's over. We have ushers, we call them monitors uh, or hosts, whose job is simply to greet people on the way out and anyone they don't recognize, they ask them, did you get a contact card when you ca- or a guest kit when you came in? Uh, A gift pack. Oh, yes I did. No, I didn't. Well, here you go. Did you have a chance to fill out the card? Well, yes I did. I'll take care of that for you. We'd rather that go into a human connection than in the offering basket. You know, the four main reasons Americans won't be in church this weekend, right? The church is irrelevant. Uh, They've never been invited. Church damaged. It's increasing. It's past. It used to be fourth. Now it's third. And the fourth is the church is only interested in my money. So we never make a connection of a new person's first contact and the instrument of of giving. Um, And a guest lounge, a place to connect afterwards, and an invitation. And the one thing that we often, too often, don't do with new folks on Sunday is invite them to come back. You know, the leader is the person who knows what needs to be done next, knows why it needs to be done, and can bring the resources to bear to get it done, that person will always emerge as a leader. Therefore, in the frontlet of your mind, pastor and worship leader and anyone who's up front, you've got to always be able to answer and provide direction to what is next in their life. If you send follow-up stuff, I say to tell people. We'll send you things and we'll, we'll be in connection with you. We're not, nobody's going to come knocking on your door. The God Squad's not going to come get you. But we, we tell people what we do with their contact information. Don't do anything that you don't tell them you're going to do. Also on the way out is the service conclude with any kind of decision or application or what, what's different, what, what's the difference of being here today. Carefully think through the very last things you're going to say on Sunday with as much forethought as you do the first things you're going to say. And then lastly, the myriad of things that need to be done in in follow-up. In fact, there are seven things that need to be done in the first seven days and seven things over the next seven months. And If time permitted, we'd we'd get into that. A host of training materials that we'd uh, love to share with you should God ever give us uh, the opportunity. But here's what I want you to do now, is if you're here with somebody from your team, or if you're, if you're by yourself, just grab a piece of paper, but if you're here with your team, I want to give you just a couple of minutes. I want you to turn and simply talk. What three things, if done with excellence, over the next 30 days, could really improve our first impressions at our church? Turn to your neighbor, I'm gonna give you exactly 120 seconds to talk about that. You're gonna start a conversation that you'll continue in the car afterwards. Ready, set, go. So, What was the best idea you heard in your group? Krispy Kreme. Kreme. I can feel my blood sugar spiking just thinking about it. What else? What was the best idea? What was the craziest, wildest idea you heard? We also like the parking lot security. Light the parking lot. Excellent. To take this seriously as if people's lives depended on it. If they won't listen to a preacher in a bu- on a corner with a bullhorn, maybe they will respond to ridiculous, generous hospitality that says you matter to God. Therefore, you matter to us. Now, this is the point in the talk, typically when the guest speaker has that exactly perfect, emotionally compelling, unbelievable story that leaves you just thinking, wow, I could never be like that. So I'm not going to do that. Instead, I simply want to encourage you to keep going. To knock down the barriers that stand between the people who live 20 minutes from your pulpit that you can, that you can control. Knock down the barriers of indifference, Knock down the barriers of this is not important, pastor. What we really need is money for that. And to just keep going. Realizing that a good deal of ministry is a lot like breaking concrete. You just keep swinging. And a lot of time it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. Chips here and there, little white scuffs. But sooner or later, with those ones, the hammer makes a different sound. You can't even see the difference, it just made a different sound, that swing. Then the cracks emerge, then the work goes quickly. It wasn't overnight with you, it won't be overnight with them. You're as much of this process as they are. God is going to want to remove as much indifference and barriers in you as he does your congregation. Mm -hmm. And of the 150 million things that you have to pay attention to, most of which will not be remembered the day you die, and when we all gather at the church house, and there you are in the box, and we're worst off because we're having to talk, right? But there you are, what are they going to remember? It really won't be the sermons you preached. Because you're just like Jesus. It wasn't the things you said that made the difference, it was what you did. Put them first. Put them first in the budget. Put them first in the calendar. Put them first in the planning. We're the people and a movement whose future is utterly dependent on whose people are not he- the people who are not with us yet. Stay at it. If there's any way at all that I can serve you, any way at all, uh, you can just get a hold of me right there, and it would be an honor to do so. I think we're going to have a little Q&A time, but can I pray for you as we do that? God, I'm just so grateful to you that in your providence and in your wisdom, you chose to bring this kid all the way from Iowa down here to yammer away about this abstract yet concrete idea of hospitality. God, I pray that you use my feeble efforts to jar loose behavior, and renew compassion and a sense of mission in all of us, that on any given Sunday comes the opportunity for people that you are drawing to your son Jesus to hear about him through our respective ministries. So God, I ask you to lay your hand of blessing on these choice servants of yours. Use them as great redemptive islands and lighthouses in their communities, and that you'd bring many, many, many thousands of people to you through their efforts, by your grace, and in your plan we really hope you enjoyed
0: that as much as our live listeners did the day that Tom delivered that outstanding seminar. And we're, again, we're having him back. Tom's going to come back and deal with more in various strategies related to outreach and the Sunday morning experience at our REACH 2015 Evangelism Conference, our strategy conference that's September 28th and 29th in McDonough, Georgia at Eagles Landing Baptist Church. To find out more, just go to gbcevangelismconferences.com and look for the information about the Strategy Conference. Again, September 28th and 29th. Mark your calendar, and we hope to see you there. Again, I'm Scott Smith, Georgia Baptist Convention Evangelism Ministries. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Network. You've been listening to Network a program dedicated to challenging believers to
1: cast the net of the gospel. Network is a production of the Evangelism Ministries of the Georgia Baptist Convention.